right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. All of you gathered here in the room for our combined 10 o'clock service today, and, and all of you joining us online, we are glad you are with us. Uh, we like to begin our services with this greeting that uh, I think Christians have been using it for as long as they've been Christians. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. We believe that's true that the Lord is with us and that he meets us here when we gather together to worship him. And he's even with us when we're sitting at our phone or our laptop or wherever you're sitting and watching us online. I know I already had some people say like, hey, I'm not, we're not going to make it in, but we're going to be watching online. Will it be streaming at 10? And I think it's working. So hi. Um, yeah, we believe that God meets us right where we live. Uh, whether it's a white Christmas or a foggy Christmas or whether, whether today you're just filled with joy or whether today is really, really tough. Uh, God meets us right where we are, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, so we're going to bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to sing. So if you would, let's, let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for the chance to gather together to, uh, to sing to you, to celebrate your amazing gift of love you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ, to, to reach out to you in prayer. Um, help us to be honest about what's going on in our hearts and minds today. Uh, for those of us who are filled with joy, God, just help us to express that to you and, and to give you thanks for all your many blessings. And, and uh, God, if there is a, a bundle of hurt that we're carrying with us today, I pray that you'd help us to give that to you too, uh, that we can express to you our frustrations, our fears, our anxieties, our griefs. Uh, because, God, you're the one who made us, and you're the one who loves us. You, you want to be involved in every aspect of our lives, and you want to you want to comfort us in our grief and strengthen us where we feel weak. You want to give us grace for the journey ahead, whatever it might hold. Thank you, God. Thank you for meeting us right here, right where we live on this Christmas Eve. We are so grateful. Uh, please, connect our hearts to yours today. Use the songs or the scriptures or the prayers or, or the, the celebration of communion. God, use this service uh, to connect us with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're able, interested, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. Christmas. 
Christmas story, and I'm sorry if you come tonight, you're going to hear this again, but it's good. It's good stuff. 
Luke 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in a manger, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. From Isaiah 9, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. 
They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms of bloodstained, uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Not very Christmassy, is it? But wait. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Amen and amen. Pray with me, will you? Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this reminder this morning of, of this child that you sent to us. You sent to us with the purpose of redeeming us. And Lord, that we have things that we can call him. We have these names that we can give him other than just a child. He is a wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Lord, you are that and so much more so much more. We don't have words to adequately describe who you are or, or, or even just understand the mass, massive vastness of who you are. And yet in, that, in your bigness, Lord, you sent yourself, you sent your son as a newborn infant, completely helpless, completely dependent on his earthly parents to try and get it right. Lord, we thank you for that truth this morning. I thank you for each person gathered here. For all of the joy that they brought in with them in this season, in this, in this holiday, Lord. For all of the heartache that they carry with them too. We give you thanks. For those that are anticipating a great day today, tomorrow, and a couple of days to come, Lord. We're very, very thankful and we celebrate along with them. But Lord, I pray that you would be especially dear to those who this, this year's celebration might not be quite as joyful. It might not be quite as happy. You know the circumstances. And you know what each and every person needs in that, in that circumstance. And so I pray, Father, that you would be a, a tangible presence, that your spirit would be around them and, and above them, beside them, Lord that each and every person who is in need of you this morning will find you in just the way that they are looking and seeking. We thank you again for this day, for gathering us here to celebrate this, this awesome occasion of you coming to earth. And we give you thanks in all these things, praying them in your holy name. Amen and amen. amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. All right. I think everybody's had a chance to shake uh, about half the people's hands, maybe. But uh, 
Those of you joining us online, since you couldn't, uh, couldn't do that just now, make sure you drop us a comment there on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're watching, or, uh, or go to livinghope.info slash connect if there's some way we can be praying for you, thanking God with you. If you have a question, we would love to receive that and respond to that. Um, if you got one of these on your way in, then on the back you can see there's some things coming up at uh, ways you can be generous. Oh, yeah, and if you want to give, you can give online too. Or uh, those of you in the room, you can grab one of those little cards back there. You can jot your note on that and drop it in the offering box. If you're giving, you can drop it in there or you can give online. That's good. If you, uh, if you want to give to help some of your neighbors keep the utilities on this winter, that's what that white tree in the lobby is for, that warm a home tree. Or you can give online to the Good Neighbor Fund. That all goes to First Contact so they can help uh, some of our neighbors keep utilities going. Uh, you can still help build the house for Habitat. We're collecting funds for that through the end of the year, which is almost here. you got this week, I guess, left if you want to give to the Habitat Fund. And, uh, and then, we're, well, we're on Christmas Eve, so we've got uh, the service happening right now. We don't normally do a combined service, but then tonight we've got our 5 p.m. Uh, candlelight service. And like Scott mentioned earlier, we'll be reading the Christmas story from Luke and, and uh, interspersing that with some of our favorite Christmas carols and, and um, communion and, and Christmas cookies that we'll be uh, sending with you so you can take to spread some Christmas cheer to someone who needs it. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of that, if you'd like, there are a whole bunch of cookies in the kitchen right now that you have dropped off and donated. If there are any of you that want to stick around for 15 or 20 minutes afterward to help box those up, um, then feel free to do that. All right? Just grab me after the service, and we'll make our way back there, and we'll box them up and have them ready for tonight. So... Um, I don't know if there's any other announcements I needed to make. Oh, other than next Sunday, uh, again, we're just going to have our, this one service at 10 o'clock, New Year's Eve. Uh, we know some people are, you know, doing Christmas break stuff and whatnot. So one combined service next Sunday. And then January 7th, we start a new adventure together, and uh, we'll be back to our, our regular schedule, 9 and 1030. And I know some of you are very thankful for that because some of you are like, man, I had to wait a whole extra hour uh, before church started today. And uh, you're already frustrated by that. You know, and others of you are like, man, I had to get up half hour earlier uh, to get here by 10 o'clock. So don't worry. A couple of Sundays, we'll be back. You can, you can do your normal thing once again. Uh, I'm kind of curious. You know, we decorate the church here uh, for Christmas. We put up a Christmas tree that... Uh, uh, I don't think you can see on the camera now, but the Christmas tree and the little garland stuff and wreaths and things on the tables and, and whatnot, uh, snowflakes hanging out in the lobby. Um, how many of you have put up some kind of Christmas decorations at your house or your place of work or something? There's, yeah, a whole lot of us do that, don't we? Even if it's just like a little simple, like a wreath on the door or uh, maybe you do a nativity scene. We've got a couple of little nativity scenes at our house. I asked Stacy if she could shoot me a picture of them uh, this morning. Can we get those? Oh, yeah, there's the, there's the grown-up one. Right? And you can see all the, uh, the shepherds and the, I think the wise men are in the corner over there and the angel and little baby Jesus in the manger, right? And you see anything missing from that? Or here's the boys. Go ahead, go ahead. Go to the boys one. That's, that's the boys, the, the little, what, the little people or whatever. That's theirs. If you push on that angel's head, it, it, uh, you push down on that, it plays a song. And, any, and they have discovered, you know, any of them can stand up there. So any of the characters can fit on that little spot where the angel is. So sometimes it's the donkey playing the song. Sometimes it's one of the wise men. But did any of you see anything missing from either of those? Anything that wasn't in there? I mean, baby Jesus is there. Wise men. I think they both had shepherds and animals and angels. What's that? Looking for a star. Well, there's a little star there. It lights up when you push on the angel. But yeah. Stacy tried finding something to add to it this morning because she knew what I was talking about. There are no dragons in either of those nativity scenes. <laughs> and, there, and there ought to be. Um, 
I know some of you are like, dragons, Rich, you're crazy. You know, of course there's no dragons. There aren't dragons in the Christmas story, right? There's also no monster trucks, no hot dogs. I mean, these things just aren't part of the Christmas story. So what are you talking about, dragons? Um, well, you know, those nativity scenes already kind of mash together the stories from Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, right? I mean, Luke's got the one that we, uh, we think of most often, I guess, because uh, Linus read it in the Peanuts, you know, Christmas special uh, about them, Mary and Joseph, having to go, you know, travel to Bethlehem because of the tax or the, the census that was being done so everybody could be taxed. And, and uh, before that, you, if you read before that, you get the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, telling her she's going to give birth. And, oh, how can this be? And, you know, this is going to be the Son of God. And the whole thing explained to Mary. And she treasures these things in her heart. And, and so they go and they, you know, the whole idea of it being in a stable or a barn with the baby in the manger, that all comes from Luke's gospel, right? Uh, that's what happens. And then the angel that tells the shepherds and they all come uh, to, see the, to see the child. Um, you don't get any wise men in Luke's story, right? He just talks about the angel appears to Mary and all. So we've got that story. And then in Matthew's gospel, we have the story of the wise men. We have an angel appears to Joseph in that story saying, hey, don't worry, it's okay uh, to marry Mary, this, you know, this child that she's uh, carrying is a child of God. She didn't cheat on you or anything like that. It's okay. You can marry her. And so he does. And Matthew's is, is darker because Matthew's is a story that has these, these magi, these wise men from the east coming, following a star, and they show up at the palace in Jerusalem saying, hey, where's the newborn king? We've come to worship him, right? We saw the star. There's got to be a new king. And the king's like, I haven't had any kids. What, is he, what are they talking about? And he sends to find out, like, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they say, well, the the Old Testament prophet said Bethlehem. And so he's, he's worried that this new king has been born that's going to overthrow him. And so he tells the wise men, you know, go ahead, go see. Um, find the child. And when you, when you find out where he lives, come back and give me his address because I want to go worship him too. And the wise men go and they give him the gifts, right? The gold and the frankincense and, and the myrrh and all that stuff. All those very useful, you know, uh, gifts for a new mom that, that needs all those things. Uh, you've all seen probably the little comic, right, about like, if the three wise men had been wise women, you know, it would have been very different gifts, uh, much more useful, much more practical um, than a bunch of gold and incense. And Anyway, and they're warned in a dream, hey, don't go back to Herod. He wants to hurt the child, so they don't. They go a different way. And when Herod finds out, he's ticked, and he commands that all the children in that thing, two years and younger, in that town be killed, be slaughtered. There's like a genocide kind of thing that happens in Matthew's story. Fortunately, Joseph is warned again in a dream, and so they take off down to Egypt. They live as fugitives for a while until uh, another message from God says it's safe to go back. Herod's died. You, you, can, you can return. So we already kind of mash these two stories together. You know, Matthew doesn't say anything about angels or shepherds or any of that stuff, right? Doesn't even say anything about being laid in a manger. Right? Matthew's story probably happens a little bit later. It says they find him in a house. But anyway, um, so if we're already mashing stories together to make these nativity scenes, I think we ought to mash the Revelation story in there, too, because Revelation chapter 12 is a Christmas story. And, um, you know, Mark's gospel, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we're talking about Matthew and Luke. Mark just skips over the whole thing. Jesus has already grown up with a beard by the time we see him in Mark's gospel. Uh, John's gospel takes this big cosmic view and starts out saying, right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and uh, later on says the Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. He's talking about Jesus, using this Greek concept of the, the logos, the word, the reason behind, the logic behind the universe, to talk about Jesus and his presence at creation and his presence here among us. So it's not really anything you can add to a nativity scene from either one of those. Um, but Revelation gives us that. Now, we don't know if, if the John that wrote Revelation is the same John that wrote uh, John's gospel. Might, might very well be. We're not sure. 
Um, but he also takes a cosmic view when he tells the Christmas story, all right? Um, and it's got a dragon in it. In fact, chapter 12, that's what we're going to look at right there in your notes. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. You got the picture there, right? Weird cosmic heaven woman, you know, clothed in the sun. The moon is her footstool, stars around her head. Um about to give birth. I kind of picture like she's in the birthing position and there instead of the doctor, you know, with his catcher's mitt on, there's the dragon waiting to devour the child as soon as it's born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And at least in the New International Version, they went ahead and helped us out by putting quotes around that to let us know, oh, this is quoting something from the Old Testament. If, uh, if your Bible's got a footnote or if you're reading online, there might be a little thing you can tap and it takes it to Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. It's looking ahead to the, to the Messiah. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's, a, that's the whole story of Jesus' life right there in like two sentences. <laughs> it's, the, it's the quickest version uh, that you could possibly tell. You know, he's born, he's going to rule, and he was snatched up to God. So it just kind of skipped over the whole calling the disciples and doing all the miracles and all the teachings and all the stuff and dying on a cross for our sins and then rising again and then ascends into heaven. He just kind of skips through all of that and says he was born and he's saved from the dragon. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days, which works out to like three and a half years. I'm going to go ahead and read through the rest of this, and then we'll come back and talk about the weirdness. All right. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So if there was any question about who this dragon is supposed to be, he's gone ahead and spelled it out for us. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. Another weird way of spelling out three and a half times or years. Out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent, which doesn't make sense to me because she's flying. I don't know why this... Anyway, but the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So by the end of the chapter, there's no question who the dragon is waging war against. It's against people following Jesus, who are described as offspring of this woman. 
this woman who perhaps, uh, now we talk, I guess we, we talked before about how Revelation is weird literature, okay? Uh, it sets it up right from the beginning to let us know, look, he's going to be talking with symbols and signs and things that stand for other things, and, and it's more like looking at a work of art than reading a textbook, okay? Um, you got to kind of get the sense of what's trying to be conveyed, and it's not always as clear-cut as like a bulleted, you know, list of instructions. Um, but for these early followers of Jesus, and we see early on in Revelation, this is written to Christians who are struggling, right? It, it's, it starts out with those seven letters to the seven churches, <clears throat> that seven helping us to realize, oh, this is talking about all churches. This is a message for all of us to pay attention to, not just these seven churches back then. And then it has these cycles that we looked at, uh, seven, uh, what are the seven seals and seven uh, seals and trumpets and seven bowls of wrath poured out that all seem like different angles, uh, just like the sporting event where you get the, the same shot replayed from different angles, different angles on the judgment of God against those who are evil, those who are uh, oppressing, those who are doing violence against their fellow human beings. We see that God finally is going to put an end to it all. These, these early Christians who are asking, as we mentioned last week, how long? How long, God, until you make things right? How long until you avenge our death? How long until you put a stop to all this injustice? They're being assured that yes, even though right now the devil is raging, even though right now the devil is, is waging war, that, that's not going to last forever. These early Christians are being encouraged, please just persevere, just hang on a little while longer. God is still in charge, and God's going to wrap this whole thing up and <clears throat> bring it to a, a wonderful, beautiful conclusion. But we're not there yet. Now that passage we just read, it had at least two different places where it talked about these uh, like three and a half years, one time it said 1,260 days, right? Another time it said a time, times, and half a time. Um, if you look back at kind of the, the Old Testament prophets, especially Daniel, I think Ezekiel, um, but they, they talk about timelines in terms of like these groups of seven. And Revelation has this, this idea that there's a period of seven years, like the whole story gets wrapped up in, within seven episodes, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. There's seven episodes in this, this season. Um, there's seven periods in the game or something. And so three and a half is like a way of saying, okay, for the first half of the game, it, it might be that the devil seems to win. You know, the devil might, might pull ahead in the first half. The devil might seem like he's going to, there's going to be a blowout and there's no way that we're going to come out of this victorious. But that's just the first half. Don't give up. There's still a second half waiting to be played. All right? So these, these numbers, whether it's 1,260 days or a time, times and half a time, or, or later there's another one. I forget uh, how they put it in that one. Uh, we're going to come across that in a minute. Um, oh, 42 months, I think. Um, whether it's days or months or times, all these references to like, well, for half the time it's going to seem like this, but it's like they're saying that's not the end. This whole thing is meant to be words of encouragement for Christians who are wondering, why are things so messed up? Right? I mean, I thought Jesus, you know, didn't he die on the cross? Didn't he defeat the devil? He rose again. He defeated death. Death, the devil, sin, all the powers of evil have been defeated. Why are we still suffering why have things not been made right yet and revelation in part is helping them to see well there's still a war being fought and we're still wrapped up in it yes jesus has has come he's won the the victory the the devil has lost and has been thrown down hurled down he's lost his place in heaven but now he's ticked <laughs> and he goes after the woman who 
Again, it's, it's art. You know, sometimes we think this woman, is this Eve? You know, is this, is this Israel? There, it sounds like it's Israel from the, from the description and from how it fits into other, other depictions. Especially giving birth to, I mean, it could be Mary, you know, the actual you know, mother of Jesus. So Eve, Mary, Israel as a whole, it's, it's giving birth to the Messiah, bringing the Messiah into the world, the one who will rule, who will make things right. And the devil couldn't defeat him, but he's not come back to make it all right yet. We don't get that to like chapter 19, chapter 19 and 20. For now, there's still a war going on. And the devil is ticked because he can't destroy the people he wants to. He, he, can't seem to. he can't ever seem to win. And so he's enraged, waging war against those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So these early Christians are like, oh, okay, well, all right, I guess things are going to be tough for a while because the devil is still running around, still, still doing his worst to try to get us. And we start to see how the devil works in chapter 13. We see the dragon continues. And this is the part that some of you, this is like the whole reason you read Revelation right here, chapter 13 for some of you. All right? It says, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Now, oftentimes when we, when we go to Revelation and we read this about the beast, and especially as we get down to the end and they're talking about the number of the beast, the 666, all of that's at the end of this chapter. Right, we, we think, okay, so this is, we're looking for like this Antichrist figure, right? We're looking for this, you know, right, this, for a while it was going to be uh, Mikhail Gorbachev because he had the funny thing on his head. For a while it was going to be Saddam Hussein. Uh, some people thought it was JFK. Some people thought it was Ronald Reagan. Uh, all kinds of different people thought all kinds of different folks were supposed to be this Antichrist or this beast, this, this ruler who's supposed to do all this evil. But the imagery, the way John is using the imagery about this beast resembling a leopard, feet like a bear, mouth like a lion, He's referencing prophecies uh, stated by Daniel in the Old Testament, prophet Daniel, um, who had similar visions. And in his visions, he, has, he sees a, a, a creature that looked like a leopard and one that looked like a bear and one that looked like a lion. He sees these different animals, and it's spelled out in Daniel. These represent nations, kingdoms. And, uh, and here, now John says, okay, now we've got this beast that like combines all of these. This beast uh, has the... The worst attributes of all of these creatures all rolled into one. And it seems like everyone all over the world is enthralled by this beast and cannot see any way to, to wage war against it. Who could possibly wage war against this beast? He seems to be his way of talking about, to these early Christians, to talk about the empire of Rome, who had defeated all these other kingdoms that are mentioned in Daniel, and now, as, now that those kingdoms have fallen, one to the next to the next, now Rome is the superpower of their day. Now, I don't want you to think, if you're, if you're sitting there thinking, uh-oh, Pastor Rich is one of those guys who just thinks Revelation's all about the past, doesn't have anything about today or the future, and, and that's not the way I read Revelation. Okay, that's fine, right? We all read Revelation differently, and that's okay. The main thing, as I've been reminded by a couple of you after each of these Sundays we've been looking at Revelation, is, is the main thing is to keep the focus on Jesus. No matter what view of Revelation you have, Let's keep the focus on Jesus. Let's continue to trust and follow him. But I don't think this is just about Rome. 
Okay, I think, while I think it is about Rome, I think this is John's way of helping them understand, oh, so Rome isn't just a big, mean, you know, empire that's, you know, marching through our, our nation, our city to, to conquer us and to kill, you know, our armies and all the rest. The dragon is behind this. This isn't just beastly. This is evil. The dragon is the one who's empowered Rome to be able to do what it's done. And it's helping them to, it's kind of giving them that view behind the curtain. They can see how the ugliness of Rome's rule and the Rome's peace that it brings through conquest. And now John's helping them to see, ah, and behind it is this angry dragon who's looking for some way to wage war against God's kids. And so it's using a beast, a beastly empire to do this. Now, it says, uh, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Again, three and a half. So it's like, yeah, for a little while, but not for the whole game. You know, don't worry. The, 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 the beast isn't going to rule forever. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. You know, they, they, that's their experience. They're like, yep, we've been losing. You know, our city's been demolished. And some Christians now are finding themselves, you know, hauled away and persecuted and jailed and killed. So yes, it's been given authority to wage war against God's people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. He's saying those who don't belong to Jesus are just going right along with it. And these Christians are seeing their neighbors do it. They're feeling the pull themselves to do it. Um, well, in part because of what we're about to read. So then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So it kind of looked good, but ooh, when you listen to what it said, it was evil. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Which, by the way, a couple of references to that. They think that might be a reference to, to Nero who died, but then there was rumors that he was coming back, and there was all, and the, the Domitian was like Nero revived or uh, come back. Anyway, that might be what's going on there. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Well, I said 666. If you read the original language, it says 666. Um, that's, that's the number, all right, that we're all so worried about. That's why some people refused to get the COVID vaccinations, because they were sure there was a microchip in there, and it was really the mark of the beast, and it was going to, you know, do something terrible. That's why some people, for a while, resisted uh, using credit cards or the little... What are the UPC symbols? Is that the little barcodes? Barcodes. And, and any time that there's a company that comes out with a new RFID technology to unlock their doors, uh, people are convinced, uh-oh, here's the mark of the beast. Next thing you know, they're going to want to put it in your hand or on your forehead uh, so you don't, can't lose the card. And, and there are some companies doing that. Um, and uh, any time it does, it's all over Facebook. It's all over your email. Um, here it is. This is the mark of the beast. Um, maybe. Man, I don't know. What, I, what looks like is happening here, we've got the, the beast, the beastly empire, and then we've got those who show up in these seven uh, churches and the towns where they live. You know, Rome is still kind of distant for them, but there are local representatives. 
the ones who build a temple to the emperor who now is claiming divinity and who is calling all people to worship the emperor. And in fact, there were some of these towns where you couldn't get like a permit to open up a shop, to do business, if you didn't first, you know, burn your incense to this god or, or show your uh, allegiance to Rome by performing some act of ritual worship. And so this is already something that some of them are saying like, oh, yep, we've been hearing about this, or oh, yep, that's happening in our town. This is, this is already going on. Some of these religious leaders, you know, for the, basically the, the religion of Caesar, <laughs> who they kind of looks good, like, oh, yeah, what's, what's, what's one more God? We already worship this God and that God and the other God. What's one more? What's, what's wrong with recognizing, you know, Caesar as the son of God? Burning a little incense at his temple, just like we do at all the other temples. Christians, of course, they've already kind of come out of all that. They said, no, we don't worship those gods. We, we just recognize one God, and, and we can't bow down to Caesar. We, we bow down only to our Lord, Jesus Christ. We can't kneel before Caesar's statue. We can't burn that incense. We can't make those sacrifices. We can't do that. This mark on the hands or foreheads is, is kind of a callback. It seems like it's echoing uh, what was said back in Deuteronomy, where the followers of God, uh, God's people, were to uh, put Scripture on their hand or on their forehead to remind them of God and of his great work in bringing them out of slavery to Egypt and to remind them of who God is and what he has done for them and who they are as belonging to God. So it seems like kind of an echo of that and saying, oh, these people are uh, promising their allegiance to the beast to the empire, to which we're recognizing is powered by, by Satan. So it's not just military might, who can wage war against the beast. It also is asking for an allegiance that, that is spiritual in nature, and it's impacting the economy. And like you said, this calls for wisdom. Who is this beast? Who is this, this man? whose number is 666. Or depending on which early copy of the scriptures you had, it might have said 616. There's a, as, as people um, uh, dig up ancient manuscripts and they kind of fit them all together like a big puzzle, like, ooh, okay, this one seems like it's earlier because in this one they misspelled that, uh, that word and now we see all these other copies have, have continued that misspelling. You couldn't just go down and like print up you know, 100,000 copies of a book you know, like you do today. Uh, if you had a Bible, it had been copied from someone else's Bible, and they did an excellent job of it. The vast majority of these little, little copyist errors are, are tiny and don't really impact anything. But there's a whole kind of branch of those documents where that number is, at this verse, is 616, which is kind of puzzling uh, until people realize that, oh, the way they get these numbers, like, you know, the alphabet, they would use the alphabet for their numbers, and that's actually, if you look at the original language, that's what they're doing. Um, they're using the alphabet for the, these numbers. And if you add up Nero, Caesar, in one language, one spelling, it comes up to 666. In another spelling, it comes up to 616. And so somebody along the way said, oh, well, we know this talking about Nero, but they didn't add it up right. That, they, the person who I got this from must have, must have written the number down wrong. So they fixed it, made it 616 instead of 666. And so then whoever copied from them was like, oh yeah, that's Nero, 616. Yep, we know that. And so that, that little copyist error that was carried on for so many says, yeah, I think the earliest readers thought this was pointing to Nero. Maybe this was John's way of saying that without putting it right out there 
like, we're rebelling against Rome here, you know, if you, if you come across this document, yep, arrest whoever has it. You know, he's not going to name Caesar in this, so he kind of hides it behind a number, perhaps. But I don't think this is all just about the past. I don't think the book of Revelation just has nothing to say to us in all this, because even today, I mean, there are political systems, economic systems, religious systems, that the reality of how they operate in the world is pretty beastly. I think John has something to say to all of us as well. That when, when a nation, when an economy, when a religion, when it acts beastly, when it, when it acts in ways that are ugly and frankly evil, that that's worth resisting. Now the people that John writes to, he doesn't, he doesn't call them to armed resistance. He doesn't call them to overthrow Rome. He calls them to persevere, to endure to stay true to Jesus, to not allow this culture to, to pull them off track, to not allow themselves to get sucked into the violence is the answer approach, to not allow themselves to get sucked into, yep, I'm just going to run, I'm going to run my economic life, my, my personal financial life around the priorities of the kingdom that I'm a part of. Because no, no, if you're going to stay true to Jesus, then you're going to handle your money differently. You're going you're gonna to you're gonna approach enemies differently. You're not going to just fit into the world around you in all of its ugliness, its beastliness. The Christians are going to look different. In fact, that's where the very next verses in chapter 14 says. He says, then I looked. Right after giving this, this number, it says, then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. These are people who belong to Jesus and belong to God, who don't belong to the beast, who refuse to go along with evil and have stayed true to Jesus. Um, I didn't have room to put all the talks about how they're dressed in white robes and, and you know, on white horses. And We've seen this number before. Uh, I think we looked at that last week. Yeah, last week. How this symbolizes kind of the completeness of all of God's people. It says, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. Reminds me of that, that offered as first fruits. That's harvest language. That's reminding me of what was said in the, a couple chapters earlier about how they, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. These were people who were willing to follow the Lamb, even if it meant following him to a cross, even if it meant living in a way that was countercultural, even if it meant living in a way that caused them to suffer and maybe even die. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. That is what I hope would be true about all of us. And that's, if, if we were to put a dragon in our nativity scene, that, that would be the why for me. To, to remind us that there is an enemy who wants to get us off track. There, there's an enemy, well, who wants to do more than just get us off track? Who wants to destroy our lives? <laughs> that this is a reality. This is a spiritual reality that maybe isn't always clear or obvious, but is the reality that you and I live in. Some of you have experienced this in some pretty life-altering ways, painful ways. I don't think I need to go into details. Some of you are already on the inside are saying, yes, I have felt that pain. I know there is evil in the world. I've experienced it. I've been caught up in it. I've been the victim of it. I've, been, I've found myself asking, just like those folks last week, how long? Lord, 
And maybe at times you've been like those other folks from last week who are, who are saying, oh no, it's judgment time and I'm not ready. I don't want to appear before the judgment seat of God because I am not, I'm not going to do well <laughs> if my life is judged as I currently am. These, the invitation last week was, uh, let's let him wash our robes. Let's let him clean us up. Let's come to him and, and let him forgive us and switch us from team beast, team dragon to, to team lamb. You know, this, this, it's not too late. We can still follow the lamb wherever he goes. We can find ourselves among those who are purchased from among mankind, offered as first fruits to God, to the Lamb, who live our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. These are words of encouragement to these early Christians who had no power in their day, who wondered, is, is Rome right when they say they're the, they're the eternal kingdom and they're going to they're gonna live forever, that might makes right? that they will rule, that they're going to win this game by the end. John's saying, no, 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 we're, we're not even to halftime yet. You know, there's still time. The lamb is going to come out ahead. And sure enough, if you keep reading, um, you know, we had the seven churches and seven, all the other sevens, and now there, there are seven different signs that, that appear through these several chapters, uh, including uh, references to, to Babylon, uh, who's riding a dragon with seven heads, and it's pointed out those are seven hills. It's like this really obvious reference to, to Rome, the city on seven hills. And, and uh, by the end, by chapter 19, well, the very end is next week, all right? very end is next week. We'll get the very end of the book, the beautiful future that God is leading us toward. We're not there yet. But in Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. He's like, he's saying it's Jesus without saying it's Jesus, in as many ways as he can. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He just kind of tosses that in again, like if you, in case you missed it. <laughs> he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Whatever evil might seem to dominate, which was true when Jesus was born. Now, he was born into the Roman world. E evil seemed to be winning in so many ways. You know, like I said, Herod in Matthew's version is killing off all the baby boys trying to get at Jesus. But, but God, is not, God is not defeated. God is not... Surprise, God, is the, the, we don't have to worry who's going to win this game in the end. We are assured over and over again that Jesus, the Lamb of God, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Rome will not have the final say. Whatever evil has impacted your life will not have the final say. It might look like it in this life. It might be that we suffer. It might be that we go through things that no one should have to go through, things that are truly beastly that are inhumane but evil does not have the final say in this story in the story of God in the story of your life evil does not need to have the final say we are all invited to follow the lamb wherever he goes to make room in our hearts for this king that came at Christmas where love came down at Christmas as we sang earlier this is, a, this is an opportunity for all of us 
to not just have a nice little sentimental moment and like, oh, cute little baby and, you know, all that stuff, but to recognize, no, this baby is king of kings, Lord of lords. This, this baby grew up to live a life of love and of grace, sacrificial love for others. And we are invited to follow the lamb wherever he goes. I hope, <laughs> I hope that you will accept that invitation. And I hope that stories like this, as odd as they are, Christmas dragons, uh, I hope that these will, I don't know, help you to maybe to frame the story of your life a little differently. Um, to recognize that there is evil in the world is to just have our eyes open to the truth of life. Um, but to give up hope is something that we Christians should never do. Um, we are invited to, to recognize Jesus, uh, the lamb slain before the creation of the world. We are invited to recognize him as King of kings, Lord of lords, and to put our trust in him. So let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then let's celebrate communion together before we go. God, we are so grateful for the love you've shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for this season uh, as, we, as we lead up toward Christmas. This gift of love that you've given us in your son, Jesus, is so unbelievable, so amazing. And yes, often we just think of it in terms of the stories given to us by Luke and by Matthew, but today we're invited to see uh, the story of your activity in our lives a little bit differently, to be reminded that there really is evil in this world. There really is darkness that would love nothing more than to swallow us whole, to cause us to despair, to, to make us think that there's no other option but to just go along, take that mark, follow the beast, and be beastly ourselves. But God, you have something so much better for us. Please, help us to be able to, to hold on to hope. Help us to be able to see you and your love as bringing in the, the beauty <laughs> the beauty of this creation, your creation. Help us to be able to imagine ourselves as a people who follow the Lamb, who live lives that look like Jesus, lives of love, lives of grace, lives of goodness, lives of beauty. Thank you, God, for every moment that we get to share in your good work here in the world. Every moment that, that by our generosity, and there are so many gifts given this time of year, God, every one of those moments uh, where we, we get to give something to help someone else, and we get to see their eyes light up. We get to see the joy that it brings, the help that it brings. God, we are so grateful that we get to participate in your good work here in the world. Help us, God. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to follow you wherever you lead. In those times where we feel beat down, where it feels hopeless to us, God, please, would you shine some light into that darkness? Would you send someone our way to remind us that, uh, that evil will not win? Would you twinkle some Christmas lights at us or something to remind us that there is a light that shines in the darkness, a light that has not been overcome? Thank you, God. We pray all this um, confident in your love because you've shown it to us in Jesus and grateful that we get to celebrate today this sacrament of Holy Communion offering to you these gifts of bread and juice. God, we pray that as we, uh, as we offer these gifts to you, as we come to the table of our Lord Jesus, we pray that we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. 
We are so grateful that you held nothing back, but out of love for us, Jesus, you, you entered into our brokenness, you entered into our sin, you entered into our mess, you entered into our death so that you could bring wholeness and light and beauty and life and share your victory over sin, death, and the devil with us today. We offer you ourselves, acknowledging our need of your mercy and grace, admitting that we have not loved you with all that we are, not loved our neighbors as ourselves, acknowledging that we need you to forgive us and to wash us clean. Our robes are not white, God. We need you to wash us clean. And we thank you. Your word tells us if we confess our sins, if we, if we admit it to you, you are faithful, you are just, you forgive us our sins, and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, that today we can experience your grace, your healing, your comfort, your life. Help us, God, to come to you confident in your love, ready to receive your grace, and by that grace to be prepared for the week and for the year ahead as we trust and follow you. We pray this confident in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, the Svelbars are going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. Um, I'll be up here with a basket of bread. And actually, uh, Pastor Judy, would you like to help me serve communion this morning? That'd be great. Uh, Pastor Judy and I will be up here. We'll have a basket with bread and a cup of juice. And as you come forward, you're invited to, to take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice, and eat it, and then return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. Um, whether it's your, your 10,000th time to say yes to him or, or your very first time saying yes, uh, his, the invitation to his table is open. So we've got the regular little bread and the little round uh, gluten-free things, and we've got some cups. And if you can't make your way forward, we've got cups on the tables. You can peel them back and get to the bread and get to the juice as we sing. So let's give thanks. Let's celebrate the love God has shown us in his son, Jesus Christ.
Jesus. Born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Thank you, God, once again, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Fill us with the Spirit of Christ today, we pray, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, as your sons and daughters, embraced by you, forgiven by you, filled with your grace, with your joy, with your hope, with your love, so that we can share these things with the world you send us to this week and in the year ahead. Thank you, God pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.